So we've been on this series, the, the pastoral letters, and we're kind of taking a step back um, because um, I, I read First Timothy 3 and kind of uh, just kind of talked about it a little bit in my sermon on oneness, the last sermon I preached. So I kind of read through it, and then I talked about how we're called to oneness, but um, tonight the focus is going to be on elders and the qualifications of elders and the purpose of elders um, and and the gift that God has for us. So we're going to go ahead and, and take a step back so that we can move forward in this series. Um, and so we're we're just going to do a little bit of teaching on on elders. So let's read First Timothy three one through seven. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, or more accurately translated as, if someone desires to do the work of an elder, so if someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an, a, an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Do you desire to do God's work of spiritual leadership? Or would you like to be a leader someday? That's, that's not a loaded question, and it's not one that if your answer is yes, that you have to feel bad about. Because it says right here in the Word... Um, that uh, if someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So it's perfectly fine to have those desires. But we must realize that it's the serving and the work that we're told that we must desire. The serving and the work of an elder, not the perceived glamour. You know, too many times when it comes to leadership, we have the, the mindset of, yeah, I, I want to be a leader. I want to. I don't know why I come up with the southern accent when I do that. I'm just going to go ahead and go with it. You know, I want to be an elder. I, you know, I want to tell some people off. You know, I want to tell some people. You know, set them straight. You know, too often that's you know that's not why we're a leader. You know, in fact, as an elder, I want you to know, we we go out of our way to to affect, to encourage, um, to have influence over. But there's only a couple groups of people that as an elder that I really feel liberty to tell what to do. I mean, outside of the scripture, hey, I'll, I'll tell the whole church what to do in accordance with the word. But I'm talking about outside of just bringing the word of God. And those groups of people are children. I'll tell a child what to do every day of the week. Your child, my child, don't matter. And other leaders. I'm quite comfortable telling other leaders, hey, you know, this is this is the work of the Lord, and this is what we need. And, and when we go through leadership class, we talk about different responsibilities. It's the work of the Lord 
that we're supposed to desire. We see in Scripture that a church leader, that an elder should not be uh, elected because of popularity, because of time served, because of any of these type of things. They should not be allowed to push their way to the top. Instead, they should be chosen because of their respect for the truth of Jesus Christ, both in what they believe and the way that they live their lives. So we read those qualifications, those qualifications of an elder. How cool is it that when we go through those qualifications, it's all about character. It is all about character. You look at those things, and it's, it's not these super spiritual qualifications. It is character. We are to, be, are to have character. If we hold a position of spiritual leadership, you better have character because we have seen time and time again leaders who fall in their character because of lack of character, because of lack of character and integrity and living out their convictions. You know what? There's not an S on this chest. I'm not Superman. None of us here are, are Superman. None of us are above reproach. But when it comes to character... You make yourselves accountable and you surround yourselves with people and you lean heavily on the Lord and cling to Him as your truth. Being a leader is work. Being a leader is a serious responsibility. And there are many requirements and responsibilities. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this. Now these are the gifts. Everyone say gifts. These are the, everyone did say gifts. Like, everyone say gifts? There we go. That's much better. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. One of my responsibilities is as a pastor, as an elder, is to help equip you, the church, so that you are built up so that you can do what? The work of the ministry. I equip you so that you are built up so that you do the work of the ministry. See, we've had it backwards for way too long and we think the clergy do the work of the ministry and the lay people, they just come and and give their money and, and go away. Do you know what the word laity? Do you know what the word laity means? The idiots. There was the clergy and the laity. There was the clergy and the idiots. Isn't that ridiculous? So you talk about, you know, yeah, I'm a lay pastor. I'm a lay idiot. You know, I'm an idiot pastor. I don't know. You know, you know the laity. You know, that's, it's not supposed to be us and them. It's supposed to be us. So what is my responsibility? To equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's not just supposed to be a select few doing that work. We're not effective that way. We're not. When we're all doing it, that's when we're effective. In agreement to this command to raise people up, we at Impact Rock believe that before someone is given a title of, of any sort of you know, church leadership, um, that they have to go through that leadership training class that we did last year. You guys, that was awesome. We have it scheduled again. It's going to be coming up again in the fall, and I encourage you to come. But it lays out expectations and scripturally and us in accordance with the word, what we, what we believe that God is saying about leadership. So that class is not like a, 
you know, a, a free card to leadership. Okay, I take the class, now I'm a leader. No, but I will guarantee you this. If you don't take that class, you will never have, we will never give responsibility saying, okay, you know, you're going to bear this title of deacon or elder or any of those things because that's how important the things taught in this class are. That's how passionately we feel about it. You know, we've got, you know, I believe we've got a lot of leaders in this church. And I believe that God is seriously laying a foundation of leadership because he wants to grow this church. And to grow this church, it cannot be a small few doing the work. It has to be a big group of people doing the work. So, I mean, think about it. You know, all of a sudden, you know, we, you know, double in size. I can't do that work. I can't, it can't all be on me. It can't all be on Kara. It can't all be on, you know, rattle off a handful of names. It's got to be us. So I, I want to encourage us. When we have that class, you guys take it. It's awesome. I'm taking it again. So I'll be there. It'll be great. Let me point out something from that last passage um, that we just read in Ephesians. According to this, as a pastor, I am a gift to you. Apostles are a gift to the church. Pastors are a gift to the church. I am a gift to you. Why do I point this out? For you to enjoy that gift, for you to utilize that gift, for you to benefit fully from that gift, what do you have to do? You've got to receive it. You've got to receive it. You have to receive that gift. The fact that God cared enough about his church to give the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That's an awesome thing. But you've got to receive those gifts. We at Impact Rock, we receive those gifts. We receive the gift of apostle. When Russ comes in here, when Tyron comes in here, when TK comes in here, they come in as apostles to this church. We, we receive the gift of the evangelist. Steve, Chris, who was here last week, good Lord. Any denying that that brother is an evangelist? Man, you know, put him in a room full of Christians and half the people are going to get saved. <laughs> we receive the gift of the prophet. We've had Mike Hench in a handful of times and we'll keep on having him in. We receive those gifts. So here's, here's where ministers and here's where pastors get in trouble. When we think... That it's us doing the giving. It's, it's not me doing the giving. I am the gift. And that's not some vain thing. But it ain't me doing the giving. I'm just the thing passed around to benefit his church. Does that make sense? You know, it, it's a beautiful thing that God cares enough about his bride. And let, let's be totally straight. He cares about his bride. He cares about his church. He treats it very seriously. So when we talk about leadership... It's a serious responsibility because it's his bride we're talking about. It is his church we're talking about. Impact Rock is whose church? His church. Responsibility. Check yourself against Paul's standard of excellence. Did you say before you wreck yourself? How many of you guys were thinking it? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's right. Little hip hop pop culture. Yeah, they go, that was my wife. There we go. Check yourself against Paul's standard of excellence. See, I say yourself. A lot of times when I'm preaching, I'll say us and I'll say we. 
you know, but I'm, I'm seeing you purposely this time because, see, we know as an elder, I've got to check myself against that standard of excellence. But as his church, we all need to check ourselves against that standard of excellence. It's not just uh, the leaders that are called to that standard of excellence. It's not just leaders that are called to character, right? We all are held to that standard. All believers, even if they never plan to be church leaders, should strive to follow these guidelines because they are consistent with godly living. They are consistent with what God says is true and right. Elders and deacons have responsibilities. We, we see it in the Word. But so do each and every one of us who make it to church. Next week, I will be teaching about the responsibilities of deacons. And we will be laying hands on and setting in our first deacons ever. I am very excited about that. Whoop, whoop. So Andy and Kim Smith, they're in the back there. Michael and Tiffany Freeman. Michael's here. Tiffany's back there somewhere. John and Sharon Stewart. John's here. Sharon's helping with the kids. So we got them with the kids. So they will be our first deacons, and we we are thrilled. Um, so I will be next week uh, teaching on deacons and the responsibilities and those things. But in talking today, I, I want to make clear that as the church, we have responsibilities. We have responsibilities. These are the five responsibilities each one of us in this church has. Okay? Five of them. Number one, prayer. Number two, worship. Number three, encouragement. Number four, evangelism. Number five, discipleship. Prayer, worship, encouragement, evangelism, and discipleship. Those are our responsibilities. The work of going out and telling our neighborhood, our city, our state about Jesus is not left to the evangelist. It is all of our responsibilities. The responsibility of encouraging one another and pointing us to Jesus and influencing one another for godliness is all of our responsibility. Prayer, it's not just the intercessors. It's all of us. Worship, it's not just the, the worshipers or the ones who are expressive. Well, I'm just not expressive. So I'll leave it to the expressive ones. No, it's all of our responsibility to lift high the name of Jesus, to put the, our money where our mouth is. I believe in Jesus. I believe he is King of kings and Lord of lords and I exalt him and I let my actions and my voice demonstrate that in worship. Discipleship. It's our responsibility to be discipled and to make disciples. It's not just the teacher's responsibility. That's our responsibility. Right now, some of the looks on your face are like, I didn't sign up for nothing. I didn't know I had responsibilities. I don't know how I feel about this. You feel good about it. You feel so good about it. Here's the good news, guys. The more we do them, the more we look to Jesus and do these things, man, the more they just flow from us. They're just an afterthought. But, but we're called to do them. Does that make sense? The responsibilities of deacons. So deacons are also members of the church. So they have those five responsibilities that I just listed, right? Prayer, worship, encouragement, evangelism, discipleship. So deacons have those responsibilities. And in addition to these, deacons have the responsibility of shepherding. Of shepherding. That's responsibilities added to deacons. What does shepherding mean? 
But number one, every leader should have the shepherd's heart. Every leader should have the awareness of whose sheep you are taking care of. They belong to the king. And they ain't my sheep. I'm shepherding his, so I have his heart. And they shepherd. So in deaconing, there's work to be done. There's shepherding. You know, we see in Acts chapter 6 that there was work to be done. There was food distribution to be done. There was the intervening between conflicting groups of women that, that, you know, between the Jewish and the Gentiles, and they need to step in with food distribution. There's work to be done. But then we look at the men that were called to be deacons in Acts chapter 6. Oh my gosh, all you got to do is just keep on reading 6 through 8 and just read about Stephen and how he just anointed and filled with power of the Holy Spirit, how he preached up until the moment he took his last breath. Yeah, that was a deacon. That was a deacon. Not just the guy setting up chairs. That was a deacon. Shepherding. That's good. That's good! Elders. Elders are also members of the church, so they have the five responsibilities. Elders also have the responsibility of shepherding. Elders take on the additional responsibility of leading, of leadership. Um, A lot of times we use the term government to describe what the responsibilities of the elders are. To be honest with you, government's just confusing because it means... Uh, so many different things to so many different people. I mean, we leave Erie, Colorado, and we go to the Philippines. It means something different. And then we go into Europe, and it means something different. And so we're not going to use the term government, because it is. It's kind of confusing. Leadership, that's the bottom line. We have the added responsibility of leadership. So elders lead in these three main areas. Number one, doctrine. What are we learning and living in God's word. Doctrine. Number two, direction. Where are we going and what are we doing? How are we getting there? Discipline. When needed, what actions are needed to keep and restore peace and unity in God's church? Doctrine, direction, direction, discipline. The word elder also means pastor or overseer or presiding overseer. At this time, Karen and I are the only elders at Impact Rock Church. Our desire is to have a ton of elders. But right now we have, that's just it. We we were the founding elders. We're the only elders. But I want you to know that's not our desire. But men and women that we trust and that have poured into us have all been very consistent in this one thing. Be patient in in anointing elders. Be patient in doing that because there ain't no, ain't no going back on it. You know, it's not a temporary thing. Hey, this week you're an elder. Next week, nah. You know, it's like a marriage. It, it really is. And I've never, ever, ever, you've never, ever, ever seen an elder leave a church and it not rip, in some way, rip a church apart because it's like a divorce. It really is. And so we're, we're being patient in it. Um, but also, you know, when God, we're not, we're not rushing God. But I just want to let you guys know that that's something that we, that's our desire is to have a leadership team of elders, an eldership team. Why? Because it's scriptural. That's what's scriptural. The one man show is not scriptural. Having elders lead the church is what's scriptural, okay?
let me reiterate. It's good to want to be a spiritual leader, but the standards are high. So Paul communicates some of these standards in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 through that we read. Looking, well, let's go ahead and read those again. It's hard to just kind of, let's read those again. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. through This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation, enjoy having guests in his home, and must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For he cannot, If he cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. You look at that and you're like, oh my gosh, who can who can do that? You know, God's, God's standard for leaders is high and rightfully so. Looking at the qualifications for an elder and a deacon in these pastoral letters, I want us to keep something in mind that both husbands and wives need to meet those standards to hold these positions. Both husband and wife need to meet those standards. Can one disqualify the other? Absolutely. Absolutely. We talked about team. I, I, you know, I preached on it the last time I preached. We are called to minister as a team. So I want to touch on one key requirement listed here, and that's teaching. In verse 2 it says, uh, he must be able to teach. This requirement is found in all the pastoral letters. It's found in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Titus drives it home. You can't read Titus without that just being reiterated. The requirement to teach. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Clearly communicate our faith in Him. Let me point something out about this requirement. I believe this wholeheartedly. More learning is achieved through living than through lecture. When we talk about teaching, I want us to keep this in mind. More learning is attained through how we live our lives as opposed to our opportunities to stand before people and lecture. Can we teach? Are you able to clearly communicate your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you able to clearly communicate why you believe in Him, what He's done for you, who He is. My friends, that is teaching. Whether you have a public forum to do it or a private forum, that is teaching. That is a requirement every leader must have. Why do you believe in Jesus? I'm so glad you asked. Boom, boom, boom. What benefit have you had from being a Christian? Man, where do I start? Boom, boom, boom. It's absolutely necessary. Titus 1, 5-14 says this. I left you on 
the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. An elder is a manager of God's household so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Let me pause right here. That last verse. Be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. I want to point this out because it's not politically correct, but it is truth. Okay? We, we don't want to point out to others where they're wrong because it's not correct. It's not politically correct. It's, it's offensive. It's, you know, it, it steps on toes. It's insulting. I'm not encouraging us to all go out in the streets and tell everybody that they're wrong. But in the course of church life, there there's times that that's exactly what needs to take place. Why did I spend four weeks, I think it was, three or four weeks talking and showing you that that both Jesus and Paul absolutely gave women place to teach and to minister? Why did I take that time to do that? Because it was correcting a way of thinking that I believe is wrong. It was correcting theology that I believe was wrong. As, as the, the lead elder in this house, it was correcting doctrine that I believe is taken just out of the Bible and then now applied to, to so many different things and done so in, inappropriately. So that's what I was doing. I was following this passage. Does that make sense? Verse 10. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and they deceive others. This is especially true of those who, li- who insist on circumcision for salvation. I'll pause again. Insist on circumcision for salvation. We can translate it as insist upon anything as a way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There is one way to the Father and that is through Jesus Christ. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. Once again, the theme of false teaching so prevalent. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, this is hilarious by the way, even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> Wait, now this is awesome. Listen to what Paul says. This is true. <laughs> Paul goes, Paul goes, how awesome is that? Paul's like, yeah, this is true. I'm like, exaggerate much, Paul? Okay, all people. Um, so reprimand them sternly to do what? To make them strong in faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths, such as women can't teach, um, and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Once again, we see the call for elders to lead in these three key areas. It's all over this passage I just read. Discipline, doctrine, direction. So how do you get discipline, doctrine, direction? How do you get that as being the call? We get it from this passage right here. 
So, can a woman be an elder? As I preached four weeks ago, we see in Scripture that we're called to team. Kara and I pastor together. She and I are both elders. Just as I can't split myself in two, I can't split into the one flesh that God has given me in my wife. We are one. I can't undo the thing that God called, the thing He purposed, the thing He ordained, and then the thing that He said was very good. And you know what? I don't want to. Well, that's all well and good, but what does the Bible say? Give me an example of what you're saying in the Bible. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter 18. So let's read. We're going to kind of hop around in Acts 18. 1 through 3. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Down to verse 18. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centuria. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking who with him? Priscilla and Aquila. Down a few more verses to verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he only knew about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Who took him aside? Who took him aside? Just Aquila, right? Aquila and Priscilla. Took him aside. Corrected him, right? Explained some things to him. Other people would say taught some things to him. Together, right? Team, right? Let's read one more passage. 1 Corinthians sixteen nineteen. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who do what? Gather in their home for church meetings. Did you read that? Did you read that? They, they pastored a church together. They were pulled close to Paul, handpicked, for certain journeys, just them, why? So he could pour into them, why? Because he needed to use them to strengthen the church, right? Then what do we see that they did together? A, a young, passionate, anointed believer was just off. So they brought a little bit of doctrinal direction. Who, who handles doctrine? According to Paul's letter to Titus. Who's, who's responsible for doctrine? Elders, right? It looks an awful lot like Priscilla and Quilla together did the work of elders. How's, how's that for an example? Is that, I mean, is that, is that good enough? It's in the Bible. This isn't just our hippie tendencies. It's in the Bible. 
This is scripture. This is why we believe in team. So elders, husband and wife. So that's why, hopefully it makes more sense. One can disqualify the other. As much as we value team, we are just as passionate in our belief of headship. Jesus is the head of his church. I am the head of my marriage. I am the head of my family. Jesus is the head of this church. I will, when we add elders, I will be the lead elder. There will always, we believe in headship. If there's not headship in the marriage of a couple who are elders, and if the husband is not leading as God has called him to, then that eliminates the wife's freedom and her ability to be an elder as well. And vice versa. If the husband's doing the work and all of a sudden, you know, the wife turns from these requirements, that disqualifies the husband. Why? Because God will always find leaders. He'll always raise up leaders. But he, and we see it in his word, he values the covenant of marriage. Paul even warns. Paul and Jesus both said, hey, don't get married if you can't, you know, if you can't bear it. If you can't do the work of the Lord and be married, then don't get married. But marriage is a good thing. In my home, who is accountable to God for doctrine, direction, and discipline? I am. I am accountable to God in my home for doctrine, for the doctrine that comes forth. I am accountable to God. The direction, I am accountable to God. The discipline, I am accountable to God. But you're absolutely insane if you think I would even consider doing those things without consulting the wisdom, the experience, and the sensitivity of my wife. You're high if you think I would do that. There is no way I would do that. Let's talk about discipline. I am a daddy. Daddy's discipline different than mommy's. I would be a fool if I said, you've got to discipline like me. You've got to discipline like a father when she's a mother. Direction. I would, I would be an insane man. I'd be an insane man if I said, hey baby, we're moving to anywhere without consulting her. Anywhere. Just list any city, house, neighborhood. If I said we're moving next door. Yeah, I'm just, I'm responsible to God for direction. So we're moving. So start packing. Dead man. Dead man walking. I consult. I, I don't make those calls. Even though I'm accountable to God for it, I need, God gave me one flesh. He gave me my wife, my help meet. So that's the same way we lead here. When push comes to shove, when we, when we have, let's say we have a team of elders. When push comes to shove, it'll, it'll be the men in a room having, having been together with husband and wife men having talked with their wives, getting their families input. And so when, when uh, an elder brings, hey, this is, this is what I believe. It's not just what I, the man, believes. It's what I, having talked with my wife and us prayed together, this is what we come back with. Why? Oneship. Why? Team. Does that make sense? If an issue of discipline is needed at Impact Rock, who do you think will handle this? Me or Kara? Me. Me. 
Why? Headship. If an issue of discipline is needed, I will handle that. Kara will not handle that. And, and let me make something totally clear. Too often in church, we, com- we confuse correction and rebuke for discipline. Totally different things. Correction and rebuke and discipline, different. Correction. Can a woman give a man correction? Of course. Show me in the Bible where, where that can take place. And that word rebuke isn't as harsh as we think it is. Because we always think it is, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus! And we, we hit him with something. We you know, that's the rebuke we're used to. And that's not it. It's correction. It's, it's rebuke. But it's not necessarily discipline. So let me give you an example. Okay. So Tiffany, um, Tiffany and Kim are over our kids. So let's say uh, Brad. So Brad's a man and Tiffany's a woman. Just want to make it totally clear. So let's say Brad, um, there was an area that he needed correction pertaining to children's ministry and how they do things. He just needed to be corrected on it, right? Because he's a teacher. Yeah, because Brad's a teacher. So Brad's not here right now because he's in with our kids. So Brad's a teacher. Tiffany, being over teachers. So let's say there's an area that Brad needed to be corrected in. What sense does it make to come to me to give that correction? Or what sense would it make for Tiffany to go to Michael, who has nothing to do with children's ministry, to to give that correction? Does that make any sense to you at all? No. How should correction be done? With love and respect, right? So she goes, hey, uh, Brad, just want to kind of um, touch base. We've done a couple things. Um, I know you kind of did it this way, but we just we just do it a little bit different. So I just want to kind of course correct a little bit. And this is how we do that. Does that make sense? Do you have any questions? Did I explain that clearly? Okay, here's why we do that. Boom, boom, boom. Does that make sense? Okay, awesome. Is there anything ungodly or unscriptural about what I just said Tiffany has the right to do? I'm seeing blank. There's not a trick answer. The answer is no. There's not anything. You guys are like, oh, I don't I, I want to answer no. <laughs> but he's so passionate right now. I don't know what he'll do. I won't rebuke you. Um, why? Why is that okay? Because if we're doing it in, in love and we're doing it in respect, it strengthens the church. And, and can I give offer this plea? Please, for the love of God, please, for the love of me, don't don't ask me to to do things that you're been you've been given authority to do. You know, don't don't come to me and ask. I mean, if you've got like if if Greg and Riley are having they're at odds with each other and you haven't talked to each other if you come to me all I would be like is go talk to each other that you done it's it's not my court yet the ball's not in my court yet go talk to one another you know teachers well I need to you know we you need to talk to Brad because he no and by the way Brad's awesome by the way just if you're that's right. Yeah, Brad's awesome. He hasn't been corrected or rebuked or disciplined or anything. He just, you know, is easy target right now because he's not here, right? That's right. So the goal is stronger faith. The goal is stronger team. So yes, women who have been given authority by the elders, which just for the record, Kim and Tiffany have been given authority by the elders, do their job. They do their job and they do it with with the shepherd's heart. So would I ordain a single woman as an elder? It's a good question, right? Would I ordain a single woman as an elder without a husband? 
So right now, as of right now, um, we wouldn't ordain a single man or a single woman. Right now. When does that change? It changes when there's a single man or a single woman in the place that God says, I've called her or him to be an elder. Then it changes. Why do I have that stance right now? Because, um, okay, so let's use Andy as an example. So Andy, a single man, you know, anointed, can teach qualifications, boom, 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 passionate. Life is there, character, boom. We anoint him and set him in as an elder. And then he fall in love, falls in love and wants to marry the most atrocious, <laughs> the most the most heinous. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You know, or, or let's, let's maybe not be so dramatic. Let's say he wants to marry a woman that she just does not have a shepherd's heart. The people of God are a burden to me. I'm sorry. I just want to live my life. I just want to come to church and I want to do my thing and I want to leave. But church isn't my life. If I have already, if we have confirmed him as an elder and, and anointed him and set him in, now what we're faced with is having a woman who isn't qualified as his wife, which will hurt the church, or doing the divorce and saying, brother, we're going to have to ask you to step down, which hurts the church, right? Part of my responsibility as as lead elder is protection, is is guarding. And so at this point, I, I don't think I would do that because ultimately the, the end result, pretty good. I mean, it, it, there's the possibility of the church being hurt. So how, how can I, then what, what side do I err on? We err on the side of patience. We wait and see who he falls in love with. <laughs> we wait, we wait and see what she's like. We let there be some testing just by living life together. Does that make sense? Um, I, I have, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. The, the woman, the, the woman preacher that we were just talking about, Joyce Meyer. Okay, if Joyce Meyer came in here and, and her husband died and she wanted to be a part of Impact Rock Church and Joyce Meyer was here and she's like, I don't ever want to be married again. I can promise you I'll never be married. She sounds a little like that. <laughs> Come on. Um, that might change my mind. I might be like, okay, if you promise me you'll never marry, <laughs> promise me you're not going to marry some, you know. But that's my stance on it. And, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that uh, scripturally uh, a single man or single woman can or can't be an elder. I'm just saying that right now we wouldn't do it for those reasons that I listed. Oh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't answer questions or otherwise it's then all of a sudden everyone's asking, I'll grab you as soon as the service is over. I promise you though. But yeah, because I'm worried about mom. She'll, she has like 15 questions locked and loaded. So as lead elder of this church, I want you guys to know that Kara and I take that responsibility very seriously. We take it seriously. We're so honored. We're so proud when we talk about that we are the gift, man, we know that we're just the thing that God is passing from his hands to yours. Which, it's what a beautiful place that gets to be in. Because that means we get to be touched by God and touched by you as well. We get to be in your lives as direct handoff from God. What an awesome thing that is. And we take it very responsibly, very, very seriously. So, 
Um, we we love you guys. You know, pray that our prayer should constantly be that God, the Lord of the harvest, would send workers into the harvest field. Because there's so much harvest to be brought in. And that includes that includes elders and that includes deacons. Okay, we're going to have three deacons. You know what would be awesome? You know, three sets of deacons. Once again, you know, team, husbands and wives. You know what would be awesome? To, to have that, that setting in ceremony every three months. I'm serious. Because we have so many people that are that are doing the work of deacons that we just have to just keep. I mean, that would be awesome. We're not going to be a church of, you know, 80, 90 people forever. God is laying a firm foundation. And just so you guys know, um, we'll touch on this next week. A single man as a deacon, a single woman as a deacon. Boom. We are good. Phoebe. I don't, we don't see Mr. Phoebe. We just see Phoebe was a deaconess. So, you know, I'm okay with, with deacons and deaconesses being single. So just for the record. We love you guys. And we're just thankful to, to be able to point you guys to Jesus this week.